Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day. The first one of 2023. We are here in the second day. Those zany members of the legislature will gavel in for more lawmaking. Busy they are down under the dome. I um, spoke with one of the members this morning who said they do have water pressure. Do have that. But I believe I saw an announcement that the Jackson Public Schools are closed due to the water situation. Is that maybe because some of the schools in the southern part of the city, which are still without full pressure, yeah, there are parts of South Jackson and even into Byram that have had little to no water pressure since Christmas Day. Golly. It's third world country city. It's what it is. But they were saying the boil water notice was going to end sometime today. Okay. So we're still under a boil water. Notice. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, geez. Well, I haven't uh, consumed, but I did brush my teeth here in the restroom in Jackson. Hopefully I'd... And I've been doing that without boiling the water. I feel fine <laughs> at this point. Oh, it's... Unfortunately, it's really not a laughing matter. It's a sad deal. And I, I feel for those folks that are dealing with this. I'm seeing... I'm hearing more... Uh, chatter, let's put it that way, about businesses crying uncle and saying, we're out of here. You hearing some of that as well? Yeah, I want to say, was it the Barrel, Barrel House made an announcement that they're they're having their last hurrah, they can't keep going with the ups and downs with the water? A restaurant, a watering hole in the Fondren area. They made that a public announcement yesterday, I believe. But there's chatter, nothing official yet. Yeah, I've heard of at least two others that are seriously considering it. Yeah, and some larger institutional type entities as well considering getting out of the city. That's sad. It's exactly what they don't need if you think about it. Well, it's the exact opposite of what they've been trying to do in the Fondren district. That's true. There's been a lot of time, energy, and effort for the last 
decade and a half, two decades to revitalize at least that area in Jackson. And they've had some success. I mean, there are some spots where there's a lot of turnover and stores going in and out, but there are some places in the Fondren area that have been there since the revitalization or earlier. Yeah. Sad. It truly is. Well, because last week we got reports that there were porta-potties down there at the Capitol, but those could be there for the construction workers who were doing some work outside. That's been going on for oh, yeah. like a couple of years. Speaking of the Capitol, on the program today at 11.05, Robert Johnson, not sure what happened last week, he was scheduled to be on the program, but he will be joining us whoop, Pardon me today. At 11.05, he is, of course, the minority leader, represents District 94, which includes Adams, Franklin, and Jefferson counties in southwest Mississippi. At 11.37, Senator Juan Barnett represents District 34. He's the corrections chairman. So we'll get uh, the perspective from both of those gentlemen, one from the House, one from the Senate, in the minority party in each chamber. We'll get their thoughts about the 2023 session. At 1220, Dane Maxwell, the Public Service Commissioner for the Southern District, will get an update from Commissioner Maxwell on the goings-on in the Southern District and his uh, plans to qualify to seek re-election as the Public Service Commissioner in the Southern District. Meantime, we still ain't got a speaker up there in Washington. Speaker presumed to be the heir apparent, Kevin McCarthy, for the speaker position. Didn't get it across the finish line after three attempts yesterday. And I believe a vote is scheduled for today, right, at noon Eastern. There are, there were 20 votes in the third round, 20 Republicans, I should say, who dissented and uh, voted for another member other than Kevin McCarthy. And so, right now, it's just up in the air. There are five, he cannot lose but four, Republicans to achieve the necessary 218 to win the election of the Speakership. Five have dug in and said, no way, no how, we ain't ever going to support that guy. So, I don't know. Which would be a valid approach if they had a plan for, all right, well, if you don't like him, who do you like that could... Get the 218. Yeah. But Ain't, instead of trying to compromise or come to the middle or even have the discussion, it's just, let's be obstinate. Let's be obtuse. Let's just grandstand and say no just so we can get our faces and names in the paper. Many want to support Jim Jordan, Representative Jim Georgian, uh, pardon me, Jordan from Ohio, who nominated McCarthy and said he doesn't want it. That's kind of odd. So no lawmaker has won a majority. And in fact, 
Kevin McCarthy, the Republican, received fewer votes than Democrat Hakeem Jeffries. Did notice a, a question on the ceasefire text line yesterday after we went off the air from Charlie from Hickory Flat. It says, do you mean to tell me that the Republicans can win the House and still have a speaker that is Democrat? I guess I'm still learning. Absolutely. It's just a simple vote of a someone. Doesn't even have to be a member of the body. No, if Bozo the Clown got 218 votes, Bozo the Clown would be Speaker of the House. That is correct. Lee Zeldin is an example of a former member, just ran, of course, for governor of the Empire State of New York, defeated by Kathy Hochul, Democrat. There, He received some votes. At least one, I know. And I think, frankly, that Lee Zeldin would be a fine speaker, but he ain't got no chance of getting 218 votes, and he's not in the body. I think that's a certainly a, a difficult uh, disadvantage, shall we say, to overcome. Now, the Democrats are celebrating, absolutely. They're euphoric over the chaos which exists in the chamber on the other side of the aisle, that being within the Republicans. In the meantime, it was Donald Trump yesterday, maybe it was this morning, came out and uh, pledged, announced his support for Kevin McCarthy, said, quote, in all caps, by the way, I think he... He posted this in his Truth Social social media platform. Quote from Donald Trump, Close the deal, take the victory, and watch crazy Nancy Pelosi fly back home to a very broken California, the only speaker in U.S. history to have lost the House twice. Republicans do not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. It's time to celebrate. You deserve it. He also said, some really good conversations took place last night, and now it's time for all of our great Republican House members to, in all caps, vote for Kevin. And Matt Gates promptly responded and uh, expressed his disappointment that Donald Trump pledged his support and encouraged support and vote for Kevin McCarthy. And, and Gates said, Sad! This changes neither my view of McCarthy nor Trump, nor my vote. And Gates did take to the well yesterday, went to the podium to uh, basically denounce Kevin McCarthy. He, he put a trash in on him, honestly. Like I said, they want their sound bites in the media sphere. He got it. We're coming right back with more on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Don't forget, Representative Robert Johnson at 1105, Senator Juan Barnett, 1137, Dane Maxwell at 1220. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
little Guns N' Roses there. Back Just remembering Axel when he could actually still hit those notes. <laughs> exactly. You're right about that. We Time are, is kind to some, but not him. Not him. No. I agree. So, uh, my friend Sharon in Brandon says, still porta potties at the Wolfolk building downtown in the Capitol complex. And so I just asked her, is it because there's no water pressure? Hadn't received a response yet. Not sure. And that could be for the construction workers as well, right? Something else. Uh, did you did you see this uh, DeKeither Stamps? Um, he posted a video in uh, social media. He's a member of the House representatives. In said that his daughter in Alabama is missing. And I, somebody shared the video. It's a very short video that he made and, and posted. Said his daughter looks like maybe college age or so. I'm seeing 17 years old. Okay. Just, just before high school level. Uh, that's all I know. No details. Are you looking at that? Uh, yeah, I don't see the video, but I do see a couple uh, posters that have been put together and are being shared on social media. Okay. Missing 17-year-old female yeah. Christian stamps. There's a number to call or text if you have any information. I can give that out to you. It's uh, 646, area code, 671-2229 if you have any information about the whereabouts of Christian stamps. She was last seen in Enterprise, Alabama, driving a 2008 Honda Accord. Hmm. Um, also, if you have any information about her whereabouts, you can contact the local authorities. That number is 334 area code 347-2222. Again, those numbers to call or text, you can call or text area code 646-671-2229. Or if you'd like to contact the local authorities with information, the area code is 334-347-2222. Hmm. So we certainly hope that she is 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 found and is well and is is good and we have a positive outcome here but yeah that was just a little odd someone shared that with me last night and seems to be totally legitimate i'm i'm certainly not prepared to question and he produced that very short video basically announcing that his daughter was missing in Alabama, 17. So, don't know all the details there, but thanks for providing the phone numbers and information there, Rhino. Yes, so my friend uh, Sharon says, we have adequate pressure at the Wolfolk building. Not sure why they are here. Maybe as a precaution in case the pressure drops again. Well, that's plausible, logical, although sad. If you think about it. Well, I mean, they announced that they're going to lift the boil water notice, which you would think would be an end to the water pressure woes. Yeah. And they announced that's supposed to happen today. But if you remember, they also had an announcement that it would be back on by New Year's Day. And there was a hiccup when they tried to pressurize the tanks and they had to push it back. So, I mean, it, I guess it makes sense to be prepared. Yeah, I think that's right. 
Oh, gosh. We, so we'll continue to track that. And, uh, you know, I pray, I hope, there are no more announcements of loss of water service. That's pretty fundamental to life as we know it today. And the city of Jackson, it just can't seem to get it right. And, I, and it doesn't feel like or seem like, even with 600 million bucks coming their way, that there's a quick resolution of this. I don't care how much money you get. You don't snap your fingers and put that money to work and solve, I think, what are legacy problems that have been building up for a long time. Especially not when the government's in charge of it. Exactly. Just don't have a good feeling about that situation being addressed and properly resolved and put to bed and behind us in a short period of time. Don't have a good feeling about that. It, uh, you know, we should talk to the powers to be around here. Maybe we can get somebody on the program that uh, from the EPA, the administrators, and have a discussion, get their perspective on it. Moe says on the ceasefire text line, uh, Jim Jordan wants the head of the Judiciary Committee. Makes sense, and I'm sure that he's worked a deal with Kevin McCarthy for that. It's the way it's done. And he also says, I have a different take on the speaker vote. It is not, it is not that the Democrats are unified and the Republicans are in disarray. It actually shows that the Republicans allow dissent and different ideas, and the Democrats do not. I'll take uh, a different take on that, but I appreciate the opinion there, Mose. This doesn't happen if the Republicans perform better in the midterms. This isn't an issue. This is an issue because of this very narrow margin that exists. So this small number of dissenting Republicans are, are causing this issue. That wouldn't be possible. And, it, and the numbers certainly wouldn't be there if Republicans had seeded the number they expected and projected. This is only there because it's a, it's a, it's a nine-seat delta. And as far as Republicans allowing dissent, there's no allowing. Democrats are free to dissent as well and defect. They don't. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they absolutely love Nancy Pelosi, who's been the speaker for, seems like, as long as I can remember, on the Democrat side. So I, I don't know that that's a fair comparison, Mose. I don't, I don't know about this idea of allowing. You're allowed to vote for whoever the heck you want. You're allowed to Get yourself on TV, as Matt Gates did, right? C-SPAN's been covering this stuff around the clock, and there are clips floating all over the place being shown on a, a just a wide range of media outlets, be they network television, cable television, social media, digital media platforms, etc. You can get yourself up to the podium as a member, Say whatever the heck you want, honestly. Within reason. Within reason. But you know what I'm saying there with respect to this vote. And Matt Gates did it yesterday. 
He took McCarthy to task. He's certainly free to do that. Democrats can as well. They just choose not to. And I, I'm not condoning their unwillingness to speak up against who is, uh, I guess, the favorite candidate. They certainly could do that and put somebody else up there. This, is, this for the Republicans is like, all right, you had a spat in the locker room, and now the wide receivers are just going to run whatever play they want to run. Right. That's not how you win a game. Right. Agree. Mo says, if a Democrat voted against Pelosi, they'd get primaried by the DNC. Uh, possibly. I, I'm not sure that... I did hear Rona McDaniel in an interview this morning... En route to the studio, okay? It was terrible, I got to tell you. Rather than discussing this chaos on the Hill within the Republican Party, the, the questions were asked, okay, how do, we, how do we get a path to getting a speaker? You know, Joe Biden's been terrible for the country. That was their response. And was speaking over the interviewer, knew that she really didn't want to answer those questions. You're the leader of the party, right? You need to have a better answer than that, than just Joe Biden, Joe Biden. That's what the Democrats do. Donald Trump, Donald Trump. I, well, I thought it was terrible. I got I to gotta tell you, I was disappointed. Clearly, the interviewer was as well. We didn't really get any meaningful responses, anything productive out of that. And I think you're underestimating Mo's the, the RNC, as far as uh, how they might react, I'm not saying they might primary any candidates here. But these that, candidates uh, that are speaking up now sure did like the RNC when they were pumping money into their campaign. No doubt about it. I mean, that's just part of the whole deal. The RNC's pretty much made it clear, however, most certainly on the Senate side, that they will not support challengers to incumbents. They are all in on incumbents. No matter what. Coming right back on Midday's Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Podcasts. Days with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. From Soho down to Brighton, we are back in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The market rebounding a bit today after a sell-off for the first trading day of the year yesterday. Apple got a downgrade. And... It's because it looks like a group within Apple of employees are going to unionize. Yep, 300, I believe, 
software testers. Oh, geez. That's a real grueling job. Yeah. Oh, it is. Uh, so, <laughs> they are. Uh, they took it on the chin after that, and then today Microsoft's getting clobbered. They got a downgrade as well from one of the banks. Downgraded their outlook from uh, three hundred to two fifty. It's presently trading for two twenty nine. Off of the low, it was down to about 227 a share earlier in the trading day. And the issue there is UBS is who downgraded the stock from buy to neutral, and that's because they aren't as rosy in their outlook on the growth of their cloud business, which I thought was fascinating. I think that the market's getting a little saturated there. I think that might be the case short-term, but not long-term. I think there's a lot more technology, a lot more value functionality coming from that delivery and consumption architecture. I really do. So the, those in the House, there, there are five members, by the way, who said, no way, no how are we ever voting for McCarthy. And why is that important? Because you can't lose before. There are 222 Republicans. Obviously, he's not going to get a Democrat vote. But he can lose four to get to the magic 218 number and be seated as the Speaker. But at this point, although 19 or 20 have dissented, five said, no way, no how, ever am I voting for that guy. So you just wonder, is there a path? On that basis, do they come around? Is he negotiating? Or you know, are they behind closed doors cutting deals? And and what by deals I mean him embracing their demands. And and let me share with you their demands. They want changes in the House rules that would make it easier to eject, run a speaker out, vacate a speaker. Well, he's already conceded. If five get together and say, we want a vote, confidence vote, and you lose that vote, you're done. And it take, takes only five to make that request. I'm not sure what the exact procedure is, but the number is five. That's what he conceded to. They want a promise from McCarthy for a chance to vote on a Republican agenda that they have prioritized. That includes term limits for members, a balanced budget act, get this, a bill to end income taxes and replace that with a consumption tax. Folks, that's what we try to do here in Mississippi. And people raised hell about it. So I bet, Rhino, it's the same people that don't want McCarthy to be the Speaker of the House. More than likely. You know what I'm saying here, though. You get the connection I'm trying to make. So what's being proposed here is, okay, we're going to eliminate these Republicans who are opposing McCarthy for the speakership or saying, we want to talk about eliminating federal income taxes and replacing that with a consumption tax, a sales tax, which is highly regressive. 
That means all these folks, the 60% of the households in this country last year, according to the Revenue Service, which paid zero federal income taxes, they're now going to see their cost of living rise because they're going to have to pay sales taxes. It's the same issue we had here in Mississippi. Similar. And you know you had groups who have special exemptions in Mississippi for sales taxes, sales of new, I think new and used vehicles, if I'm not mistaken, are taxed at a different rate. Uh, farm implements was another one. Sales taxes on energy consumed by farmers. That's another one. I want to say logging. The logging industry has some sort of special exemption as well. And of course, in Mississippi, folks' retirement income is not subject to income tax. And so, if the sales tax was raised, it would be a slight increase in their overall out of pocket tax expense because they would. Uh, pay it was 1.5 percent, as you recall, increase on everything but groceries, where we were reducing that. But these Republicans in the U.S. House, they want to convert to a sales tax. Now, let's be honest; that's got no chance, none, because you got to have Democrat support to get that, and that ain't going to happen. Okay, they also want a favored strategy to secure the southern border. And what uh, I heard yesterday when I was watching C-SPAN is they want the Speaker and the Republicans, therefore, in the House to adopt and advocate for a plan that was produced by members from Texas that are, that are represent around or at the border. I don't know that that's a, a big concern or that McCarthy's pushed back on that. That was just one of their demands. They want hey, rules changed to ensure a minimum of 72 hours is provided to review legislation ahead of a vote. I don't think that's unreasonable. However, I would say 72 hours for arguably the most important piece of legislation they pass all year, which is the budget. Ain't enough when it's 4,155 pages. They got that this year. What a joke that is. You think any of them read it? 4,155 pages? The week before Christmas when they were all checking their flights? Doubtful. Rand Paul had staffers pouring over it, but... (laughs) Right. So he can make more of his stickers. That's right. And they seek an end to rushed consideration of massive government spending bills. Well, we were just talking about that. Well, I totally agree with that. But I haven't heard that Speaker McCarthy opposes that. Speaker, pardon me, Representative McCarthy. I apologize. Got ahead there. However, because I was thinking about if he were Speaker, what he has said is that those Republicans in the Senate the 18 who supported this gargantuan boondoggle omnibus bill, that their legislation, any legislation that they author or sponsor that's transmitted to the House, is dead on arrival. He did say that. You've seen it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good, honestly. Because the, the problem is you can't control the other chamber. 
What you can control is legislation emanating from those in the other chamber who support bad bills, which supporting, we've said here on the program, that omnibus bill, the 18 Republicans who defected essentially to the Democrats in casting their vote, four of whom are retiring. Four of those Senate senators are retiring. So McCarthy said, I applaud him for this. I thought it was wise on his part. It's That bill is wildly unpopular with Republicans, and it's no secret that the 18 that supported it have been denounced for their support of it, for their vote. And of course they want to talk about the soaring debt and deficit. Well, well heck, sure. I, I think McCarthy does as well, and maybe folks feel like he just won't hold to that, that ideal. That's fair enough, if they do. But here's the thing. What about Jim Jordan and the others that have received votes for Speaker? Have they put forward a plan? You've seen a plan? I haven't. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, we want term limits. Okay, well, how are you going to get that done? You're a representative in the halls of Congress. <laughs> Write the bill. That's all there is to it. I don't. I, yeah. So what? What's That's why I that? said if he had given way to everything they asked for, they'd still get ticked off and find something else to be a butt about. Unbelievable. Time for a break. On middays, uh, it's look. It's I think it's good that this is being deliberated and we're calling attention to it and that they're talking about it. In the house. We're coming right back on middays in the Element Well Studios. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone the queen of soul aretha franklin bumping us into this segment here on middays we are in the element well studios on this hump day first one of the year why don't they let them vote for whoever on the ceasefire text line and the person with most votes gets it because it requires a majority vote of the members of the chamber those are the rules. Now, the Constitution does not specify that the, that the Speaker must be a member of the body. But it does that a majority vote, receipt of the majority, uh, receipt of votes of the majority, pardon me, of the members of the body is required to be elected, to be seated. It's 212 to, uh, 222 to 212. What I can't figure out, where's the, where's the 213, Rhino? It's, it's, it was 212, uh, pardon me, 222 Republicans, 212 
Democrats now, they're, oh, okay, there was a death. Pardon me. I just found it. There was a death. It would have to be. Because after the midterms, it was 222 to 213, a difference of nine seats, a margin to the Republicans of nine. However, Representative Donald McEachin died from Virginia, a Democrat, died shortly after his reelection. There is a special election to fill that vacancy in this district, which is solidly Democratic. That will occur on February the 21st. So, therefore, it presently stands at 222 to 212. 218 required to win. Can lose four. Five have said, no way, no how am I ever voting for Kevin McCarthy. That's where we are. That's what they've said as of today. Really, the only one that has come out and said he's not voting, no way, no how, is Matt Gates. Yeah. From everything I can tell, the others have said they'll vote for McCarthy if he concedes to certain things they want. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Let's, uh, Scott and Clinton says, let's go ahead and set up a chimney from the House chamber, and when the smoke is white, we have a speaker. The way they <laughs> signal that the Pope has been selected at the Vatican, yeah. Maybe $600 million don't go as far as it used to, says Jerry and Pontotoc, referring to the $600 million that is uh, supposedly coming to the city of Jackson to address its water issues, that part of the omnibus bill, and there's another piece of emergency legislation accompanying that. That's what it's called. Gary in the Berg says, the water's just fine. It's Sunny Guy, like it always was. Sunny Guy's the municipal course, golf course on Woodrow Wilson in the city of Jackson. Played it many times there, Gary. That's where you hit your ball in a, in a ditch. I try not to, but unfortunately sometimes I do. And in your route, uh, <laughs> on your walk to the ditch to get your ball, somebody's already got it out and is trying to sell it to you. I'm serious. They, they, they do it under the pretense of, I've got these used balls that are real cheap to sell. Well, that's the one I just hit. Oh, no. <laughs> Enterprising folks around the golf course there. And Kevin <laughs> from Dan in Hattiesburg. That's from, uh, what was the movie there? That's funny. Ah, uh, heck, I can't remember. The Christmas movie. Where they go on vacation. Oh, Home Alone. Home Alone, yeah. Kevin! Hard to trust Biden, Trump, Democrats, or Republicans when government is being controlled and used to corrupt and weaken this country and its citizens, says Carol in Starkville. Please discuss President Biden's response to a reporter when I asked why President was not going to the Pope's funeral. I haven't seen that, so I can't comment on that. What do you know about it? I think I got the audio here. It's a short clip. Okay. You're not attending his funeral tomorrow. Why?
If you couldn't catch it because of the Air Force, or Marine One, excuse me, behind him warming up, the reporter asked, you're not attending the Pope's funeral tomorrow. Why? And Biden goes, well, why do you think? The reporter goes, well, you tell me. And Biden goes, you know why. Huh? And then he tried to say that it was because of the entourage and it would be too much. And the the truth is, Pope Benedict asked that Biden not be there. I didn't know that. Didn't want to politicize it, I guess, huh? Well, we got a break coming up right here because it's top of the hour. When we return on middays, Robert Johnson, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, he's the minority leader. Stay with us. The mammoth's got a brand new bag. And now, now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We're working to get Representative Robert Johnson connected on the ceasefire text line. Tim and McGee, Malcolm from Tishomingo. Let's see, there was a couple of others that just pointed out, as we have on the show, that Senator Wicker from Mississippi, the senior senator, was among the 18 Republicans in the U.S. Senate who did vote for the omnibus bill, as was, of course, the leader, minority leader, Mitch McConnell. So, yeah, certainly aware of that. Terry says the Dems, they stick together because they know they will be primaried. You know, I'm not sure I totally believe that's why they stick together. I just don't think that they have that sort of uh, dissension within their ranks. And, and I've always believed because it's, it's, there's no such thing anymore as a moderate Democrat. They're all on board with the full Democrat agenda. It does seem to be. Whereas, I think on the Republican side, there are just varying degrees of support for certain principles, certain actions. And and you could argue that it really indicates their varying degrees of conservatism. Whereas on the left, I don't think there's any limit. There's just like no limit to how much government, how much, how high taxes can be, how high and how many regulations they could support. And, of course, totally open borders without any concern. And I mean, you just go down the list of the Democrat agenda, they're all in lockstep. All right, we've got Representative Robert Johnson uh, joining us now on Middays. Representative, welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. So you guys are... About to, or you may have already gobbled in, right, this morning at 10 o'clock. I think it was noon yesterday, and then you started at 10 today. Is that true in the House? That's true. We've we gabbled in, we've gabbled out. Now we're going into 
meetings and getting legislation ready. Okay. What about committee assignments? When does that occur and, and a vote well, for the Speaker? Well, uh, you know, everyone who is who was here last year already have their committee assignments, so you already know where you are. Okay. We have one new member, and so I don't know if he's assigned him to his committees yet, but we already know what committees we we will be participating in. Okay. So all that remains the same since we're in the same yeah. term. Right. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So what are your legislative priorities for the, the 23 session? Well, my, you know, as uh, the Democratic leader, I, I think about things statewide and what's affecting people all over the state. And there's no higher priority right now, in my opinion, than health care. And that health care specifically about making sure that people have access to emergency rooms and to hospitals and at least an area close to where they live. We're in, we're in dire straits right now in, in terms of having people lose hospital services in an entire region. Mm-hmm. And so we need to do something about that. I've talked talk to leadership on both sides. They understand the crisis, and there is there is uh, there is a willingness to do something at least in the short term. Hmm. Okay. Well, this morning Governor Reeves was on the program with uh, Paul Gallo, and he indicated as well he he has those concerns about uh, certainly about access to health care and affordability of health care. And, and he uh, sounded like he is an advocate for ending the certificate of need laws in the state of Mississippi. What's your position, sir, and, and what's the general position from the Democrats in the House? Well, I, I, you know, the CON law, yeah, it, 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 in a lot of respects is, is maybe too restrictive. But that doesn't solve the problem that we're facing. Our problem is a money problem. Mm-hmm. It's not an it's not an access or a licensing issue. It's a money problem. There are hospitals that are closing because they don't have the funds to keep them open. There are hospitals in metropolitan areas like Jackson who are open, but they are severely understaffed uh, in terms of the services they provide and in terms of people providing the treatment. And that comes down to the fact that the majority of the hospitals in this state, probably right at ninety percent of them, are, are public hospitals that were formed under the Hill Burden Act, which received federal funding to keep hospitals open, which means that those hospitals, whether you have insurance or Medicaid or Medicare, whether you have, if you have none, those hospitals have to treat people if they show up at their doorstep. The problem is, is that when they do that, they don't, they don't get compensated for it because under the new health care system, uh, to, be, to receive the compensation for treating people who don't have any coverage, the, the idea was, open up the coverage so that all working people would have coverage of some time of some type. Mm-hmm. And so that funding for disproportionate share funding, uncompensated care funding is not available to those hospitals. So they can't keep facilities open the way they need to. And they can't hire doctors or keep nurses on staff because they don't have the money. So the CON law, I think needs some work, but if you open it all the way up, if we don't have the money, if the healthcare professionals and the institutions don't have the money to run those institutions, it doesn't matter what you do with the CON law. So, just to just clarify, are you saying that there are some that even though they 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 qualify based on the the amount of uncompensated care or care they're providing under Medicare or Medicaid, they're not receiving DSH payments? No, they don't get they get some uncompensated care, but not to the level because the understanding was: look, here's money available to you, states. 
that's available. You got people who are working every day, carpenters, bricklayers, mechanics who are self-employed. They're working every day. Let me tell you what I'll do to, to balance out these uncompensated kids. You can allow those people to be qualified on the Medicaid. They're working every day. They're taxpayers. We want to take care of them. We want to keep them healthy. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a billion dollars a year to keep your facilities open to provide coverage. We're going to give you a billion dollars a year to do that. And take it. Uh, uh, fund the coverage for your working people, the 250,000 or more working people in the state that don't have coverage. And that's how you keep your hospitals open. That's how you keep your doctors hired. That's how you bring in nurses and be able to compensate them on the level that they're compensating them in Louisiana and Arkansas and our neighboring states. But if you don't do that, if you don't have that funding, it won't, it won't happen. Uh, Representative, are you familiar with uh, the health care provisions that were enacted in the American Rescue Plan pertaining to the, Amer uh, the Affordable Care Act and the exchanges? And then that was just recently uh, extended uh, in the omnibus bill. That was extended, um, I'm sorry, in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. That was extended for three more years. And essentially, yeah. that allows an able-bodied adult with an income, a household income of less than 150 percent of the federal poverty level to purchase uh, coverage in the exchanges for zero premiums. Or why are we pushing that as an option to Medicaid expansion? And there are people who are taking advantage of it, but there are also people who fall outside that guideline. That, that, that would, if, if we didn't have that, then the number would be 350,000 people. Who didn't have coverage. So do you have so, some data on the number of people? Because I've tried to get this data. Uh, how many have actually taken advantage of those provisions? I, I don't I don't okay. I don't I don't have the, the, okay. the, the I, let me tell you where I get the data from. Okay. That, that that before they did that expansion, before they did that extension, yeah. that our number that, that we that, that that enabled us to take a hundred thousand people because the number was three hundred and fifty thousand. Mm -hmm. That enabled, that made access to health care available to 100,000 people who otherwise wouldn't have it. Okay. Now, we, could, it, we just need to continue to do that. Working people are not looking for a handout. Working people just, we just want to keep them healthy. They need to go to a doctor. They don't need to show up in an emergency room with a heart attack or their blood pressure out of control or their diabetes out of control. They need to be going to a doctor where they can go to work every day and make sure they get the, the maintenance medicine that they need. Now, it's, it, it's not... It's not government's fault that the, the, the cost of health care has risen the way it has. I, I don't know what, but that's not a Medicaid issue or a Medicare issue either. That's mm -hmm. a health professional issue or the access to health care. But I, I, I sincerely believe in every, every state they've done it in where they, where they take this money and put working people in a position where they can get health care everywhere it happens. It's a boost to the economy and it creates a, a healthy workforce. And we are, are, we are robbing ourselves of an opportunity to create as many as 10,000 new jobs at a, at a payment of $60,000 a year in health care. Okay. People that with an 18-month degree can go and do that. And we're not taking advantage of that. And we're gotcha. also putting people in a life-and-death situation that they shouldn't have to be. Gotcha. Representative Robert Johnson, appreciate you joining us here on Middays. And good luck in the session, sure, uh, sir. I'm sure we'll be talking to you further as uh, the session Thank progresses. You. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Coming right back on Middays. Stay with us.
three. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Element Well Studios. Appreciate Representative Robert Johnson coming on the program. On the ceasefire text line, if new members haven't been sworn in yet, can they still vote for speaker? How can they vote for on anything if not sworn in? They just have to be elected members is the way it works. They can't vote on any legislation. Uh can't file bills and and conduct all the other activities that members do. This is the first order of business that members, elected members, is what they are at that point. It's kind of like the captain's meeting at midfield for the coin toss. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, They're still representing their teams, but they're not actually playing the game yet. Yeah. They're just getting all the formalities out of the way. Yeah, the the plate meeting in a baseball game. Oh, yeah. Same day. Got to go over the ground rules. Exactly. John from Oxford says they don't stand for anything, only to be re-elected. And that sadly does seem to be the case with many politicians who measure, if you think about it, Rhino, every vote, every action, every speech, every word, every piece of communication on the basis of, with an eye towards, the next election cycle. Oh, it goes even deeper than that. I mean, they got think tanks and focus groups to figure out what kind of tie they should wear, how scuffed <laughs> their shoes should be. <laughs> All about getting reelected. Oh, yeah. So the House, by the way, should report, has convened for the fourth speaker vote. That uh, looks like that's getting underway as we speak. Tim and McGee says if people would pay their hospital bill... They could remain open. Hell, I have to pay all my medical bills that insurance doesn't cover. And I, I hear you, Tim, uh, but what would it? Would you be able? Serious question. And I'm and I'm not trying to be uh, confrontational with you here. If you didn't have insurance, would you be able to pay those bills? It's a serious question. So. I think we have to acknowledge that there are some people in society that simply do not make enough money to fund their health care. You don't but that's know. that's where the division is politically, is the if you lean left politically, if you don't have the money, you're still going to try to get the service. Right. If you lean right politically, if you don't have the money, well, I guess I just don't have the money. Right. But it, what if that uh, whatever ails you is life-threatening? And it kills you. We're not going to let people die in this society. We're just not. But That's stubbornness has killed many an American. No doubt about it. I'm not arguing that point either. Um, you know, I think about my own personal situation, and there was some expensive health care. I was fortunate to have insurance that I had to deal with. And I think about employees that work for me as well. 
And, uh, the, you know, they were, again, blessed with coverage. But without coverage and it's out of pocket, I mean, the vast majority of Americans don't have 500 bucks in their bank account. So if you're if you come down with some sort of serious medical condition that is life-threatening, you could die, literally. So the question is, should we just let people die? Or should we, and if they go to the doctor, whether it be the ER or the primary care physician, any other medical facility, how do doctors handle the Hippocratic Oath there? Sorry, you can't pay, you got to die. That heart attack, uh, you got any money on you? Well, we checked you, you don't, you got to die. I mean, it's, I know it sounds exaggerating, but th that's the dilemma. How do we deal with that? What should be the proper safety net? Should there be a safety net? Or should we just let people die? And again, I point out Mtala. And you heard uh, Representative Johnson refer to it. I don't think he actually stated uh, the formal name there of the bill, but he referred to it, that people are showing up at the ER, which is what Mtala addresses, covers, in any emergency room associated with a health care institution that participates in Medicare is bound by the law, passed in 1986, enacted into law by President Ronald Reagan. They are required to stabilize the patient. You show up, you got chest pains, and you're experiencing a heart attack, as an example. And my understanding from my doc friends, Rhino, and I know you know more about this, that that's pretty much gets you at the top of the triage list, right? Oh, yeah. Because time is of the essence there. Stroke symptoms, similar. So you're going to get pushed to the top of the line, and you're going to get treatment to stabilize you, whether or not you can pay, the patient can pay. And that's worried about later. All too often, unfortunately, you're providing those those uh, services, that medical treatment and care to someone who does not have insurance and who cannot pay, just simply doesn't have the assets to pay for it. And it ain't cheap, a trip to the ER. Folks listening know that. So it's the question is, how do we deal with this? How do we address it? That's where we have these pretty protracted debates. And so, and Tim replied, said, no, no, sir, I wouldn't. And, and so I'm simply suggesting, Tim, to encouraging you, you to think about there are a lot of people in this state that can't afford that, that don't have the financial wherewithal. And that's sometimes medical care. It's not like doing without a luxury. It's not like, well, I can't afford a new car as an example, or pick it, you know, $100 tennis shoes, stuff like that. We all get mad when we know people that are receiving some sort of government benefits, but yet they got, uh, you know, I've actually had doctors tell me this. They get mad when they know somebody comes in, doesn't have coverage, but they, they can't help but notice the $200 purse, right? You've seen that. I had one tell me that they would not by medication prescribed for their child, but yet 
they drove a new car and had expensive clothes on. You know that happens. Oh, yeah. It happens. So Because you, they no longer have to budget for health care because they know it's covered by that's right. the government. That's right. So depriving a child of necessary medication so they can have their purse. Or it could be a guy, and it could be a guy with a purse these days. I'm not, I'm not I'm using that as an example. That literally was told to me by a physician while I was in the exam room. They had just seen a patient before me. I'm laughing over here because you said a guy can get pregnant, and apparently in the DC Comics universe, the Joker is now pregnant. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this transgender stuff is killing me. This gender nonsense. It's gender confusion is what it is. I guess the clown prince of crime is confused. <laughs> Were people dying due to lack of care before Mtala? Uh, no, they weren't, uh, Thomas, but the amount of care available before Mtala was minuscule relative to what it has been since then. Um, yeah, people were dying without medical treatment, absolutely, and didn't go to the ER if they were afraid they could. There's people out there today that won't do that and don't know about Mtala. Don't, get, don't take me to the doctor. I've seen people say it. I can't afford it. But you're sick. You ain't going to make it if we don't get you there. So, yeah. Um, uh, Thomas, what's your solution? Just just curious. If, if you, I know you want the Mtala rule, again, the law, re- repealed. You've told me that you wrote our delegation encouraging them to author a bill to repeal Mtala. What's your solution? Serious question. And I'm not saying I have it, honestly. Uh, is it true that people get sick that could benefit from medical care that they can't afford? Absolutely. That happens every day. And here's the thing that I've pointed out numerous times, and it I think it bears repeating is that we keep inventing more care. And everybody wants it. And it costs money. It's unbelievable the stuff that is under development right now. I've read some some reports of that. It's just mind-blowing. Treatment for cancer. Um, treatment for heart disease. Alzheimer's. You've seen it. There's plenty of it out there. And it will cost money. There's an Alzheimer's drug right now that's brutally expensive, and they're going round and round with Medicare. What are you going to do? You're not paying any more into Medicare, and now all of a sudden you got this new drug, you got Alzheimer's, someone in your family does, you want it, but it's ridiculously expensive. So the Democrats' plan is, well, just force the pharmaceutical companies to, to uh, charge less for it. Coming right back here with Juan Barnett, Senator from District 34. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's Senator Juan Barnett. He represents Mississippi's Senate District 34 and uh, serves as the chairman, right, of the Corrections Committee. That's that correct, right? yes. Yeah. Senator, thank you for coming in. Appreciate it. You guys, uh, second day. Second day. Down there at the Capitol. Yeah. Uh, nothing too eventful so far, huh? You just gaveled in and talking a bit, getting your legislation ready. That's huh? right. You know, you know, it's fresh back, getting our legs on the field. Yeah, so yeah. It's like a big football game. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Well, you should be refreshed and ready to go. It's been nine months or so since you were taking care of business under the dome, and here you are again. Well, it's been nine months, but, you know, it's, it's business every day. I, I know. You guys Especially really... with corrections, so it's, okay. it's every day. There's, there's something that's... Sure. You know, so. Yeah, sure. So, all right, well, tell us what's uh, on the agenda and, and maybe start with what uh, you're considering uh, for your committee, Corrections Committee. Any legislation there? Well, well uh, one thing that I, I know that we're going to be having is a hearing that's going to involve Corrections and, and Judd B., and we're going to be inviting others over uh, to be part of this hearing. And, and the hearing is for us to see how well some of the legislation that I've authored and, and the governor has signed in the law in the past three years, you know, we want to see exactly how good is working okay. or how good is not working. Okay. Uh, and to hear from those who have been who have benefited from those different type of programs that we have. Uh, and I just think it's real good that we have private individuals to come in to testify or to talk about uh, how they have enjoyed or how they have appreciated the workers who who were formerly incarcerated who are now working for them because of certain bills that we passed that allowed them to keep these individuals at work versus having to leave work at inconvenient times to go and see the parole officer and all these type of things, you know. Uh, that was just something, that was just a big hurdle for a lot of them. And a lot of people in the construction industry, they really appreciate that because now they are able to uh, send in a time report to the employer. Uh, mm-hmm. They drug test them. They they uh, make it payroll deductible for any supervision fee. So that person basically is at work for eight hours. Mm-hmm. And that's what they really like. Uh, and they said, you know, and each, when they show up, they go to work. And they're not, I mean, they don't try to find excuses of why they can't be at work. And so, so it's, it's been a real, real big success. And even mm. in the public side where you got cities and municipalities uh, that are hiring these formerly incarcerated people and how they're showing up and how they're working and all, it's just, it just goes to show, you know, if, if, if you spend a little, if you invest a little bit more while they're inside, mm-hmm. then that helps them when they get out. You know, because sure. I just believe that when they leave, when they leave the the gates of that particular facility, if we hadn't done anything prior to them getting out, when we let them out, it's too late to start working on them. Then we need to start working on them while they are still there, so that when they get out, they don't come back. So we've had a lot, a lot of success on that. I'm just ready to hear from both public, private sectors on on how this has benefited the state of Mississippi and it has definitely helped in a lot of areas where we was finding shortages on on having you know people to go to work so and you know that's something that I know uh, Commissioner McCain uh, Burl Kane pardon me has been uh, a huge proponent of is that we don't just want to lock them up and have them serve their time here if we're not doing something to to rehabilitate and get them prepared for life after they're released we're really not doing our job. Exactly. You know, 
if the state of Mississippi is willing to invest money on individuals to come in to train these people, whether it be a diesel mechanic or or welder or whatever it is, and once they complete that training and all we do is hand them a certificate and say, here's your sale, mm-hmm. what do we really do? We waste the taxpayers' money. But if we can train these individuals and give them a certificate and let them start employment while they're inside and they're still working and when they're released, they're still promised a job when they get out. That's that's how we maximize our, our dollar. That's how we take care of the taxpayer dollars. Is it's not just to train the individual and send them back to a sale, but to train them and get them ready so that when they do get out, there's employment. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And and I know uh, Sheriff of uh, Rankin County has also had a pretty good program going along with that as well. Are you familiar he, with that? He is. He is. Um, Sheriff Bailey and I. Yeah, uh, Brian Bailey. Yeah, we, we work real good together. And, okay. And, and he and I are testimony to each other. Okay. Because, you know, at first we were, we thought that we was at odds okay. on how we wanted to handle criminal justice. And, and the more we talked, the more we realized that, hey, we want the same thing. Hmm. Okay. And so we, we, we joined forces with each other, and, and, and I, I helped him get legislation done so that he can have that particular type of uh, a program going in Rankin County, and it has been a huge success. Yeah, it has. And now we have more sheriffs that are calling that wanted to do the same thing. At first, these were some of the same ones that said, oh, no, we can't do this. But they see the benefit of it. Yeah. And the community sees the benefit of it. And so it's it's just it's just been a, a win-win for all of us on, on how we handle criminal justice reform. And, you know, Sheriff Bailey and I was talking one day, and we, we realized that, you know, being tough on crime is not always locking up a person forever. Yeah. Because if you take somebody that's used to being incarcerated and you give them 30 years in jail, you put them right where they want to be at. Mm-hmm. That's the life they're used to. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be tough on that individual, you say, no, you're just not going to sit here in my prison and mm-hmm. do nothing. Mm-hmm. Here's what you're going to have to do. That's being tough on crime. Just lock them up and throw them away the key approaches uh, has, has never, in my opinion, been what I would deem tough on crime. Well, and he and Commissioner Kane have uh, shared that same philosophy and made that very clear as well, and it, and it sounds sensible. Uh, what about um, – uh, Senator, some some of our laws in place that uh, would would cause a person to be locked up for an extended period of time, maybe even life, for nonviolent crimes. Is that something we ought to take a look at? You know, we've already taken a look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I passed legislation uh, last year uh, that the governor, well, year before last, that the governor signed into law um, for those nonviolent offenders. You know, that was. For, for you know, for instance, if a, if someone did a particular crime and it gave them thirty years, well, it didn't matter what the inmate behavior was, what kind of education they done, regardless of what they did, it was still going to have to be thirty years that you was going to do day for day. Mm-hmm. So we passed a law that uh, on some nonviolent offenses that these individuals would have to do at least sixty-five percent of their time, and they would be considered for parole. Okay, so. So, so we have taken steps to, to kind of remedy some of those problems that we've had in the past, or uh, in, in regards to non-criminal, I mean non-violent offenses, and they receive life sentences, and even like on on marijuana charges and things like that. You know, back in the day, you know, in the late '80s and '90s, they was giving people, you know, 
30 years for, for, possess, simple, for, possession. for simple possession, the same right. thing now that you get a misdemeanor for. Right. And so when the governor signed that bill in the law, you know, there were several hundred people, you know, that immediately walked out of jail because the law was, we had the law, um, that, you know, retroactive to go back and reach some of those people who, who deserve to be out now. Yeah. You know? I'm, not, I'm not advocating for anything like that, but at the same time, you know, we have to realize that, you know, some of these things were just just excessive. Yeah. Well, besides corrections, uh, subject matter, and uh, issues, what else are you focused on? We just had uh, Representative Robert Johnson on. He says health care is his number one concern in the state. Health care is definitely one of my major concerns. I think we really need to take a deeper look into um, Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I, and I like how uh, Lieutenant Governor has kind of talked about the fact that we want to uh, start with like the working poor because there are people who work every day mm-hmm. and you can't necessarily afford um, insurance or their employer may not be necessarily you know can afford to pay the insurance cost for that individual but if you got an individual that's working and paying taxes why not give some type of incentive to that in, uh, in, to that individual so that they can have health care so that now when they go into the hospitals or the emergency rooms then the hospitals does, do not have to absorb uh, 100% of the cost because this person is uninsured. And I think that's one of the problems that while we are facing this type of health care issues because so many people are uninsured or, or can't afford the insurance and the hospitals are, are having to absorb, you know, all of this debt. So what do you do? Do you feel like we'll see uh, bills filed in the in the Senate and in the House, perhaps? I think to so. To expand Medicaid? I think we will. I think we will. But we really need to... In the state, you know, we really need to take a, uh, a deeper look at and to making sure that we that we pass some type of legislation that where we can expand uh, Medicaid. And I like the example of what Arkansas did. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they did it and it worked. So why can't we do it? Mm. Okay, Louisiana as well. Alabama mm-hmm. is not. Tennessee is not. Texas is not. Florida, Georgia. Mainly just a pocket of about, I think, 11 states remain. But well, we'll be watching for that, Senator. We appreciate you coming on and uh, give us an update. And I'm sure we'll talk more as the session progresses. Be glad to come back. Thank you. Senator Juan Barnett represents District 34, chairs the Correction Committee in the Mississippi Senate. Has been our guest on Middays. Coming right back. Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, middays. Well, it looks like Kevin McCarthy is on track to lose his fourth speaker vote. 
Looking at the numbers now on the screen, 12 votes have already peeled off and voted in the other category. Now, that could be Democrats voting for someone other than Hakeem Jeffries, but I don't think that's happened thus far. I think every one of them, right? Uh, I mean, there was scuttlebutt about AOC talking to What's-His-Face that made the anime video of her dying and how there's a push for a coalition government because it's so close. Yeah, Paul Goser. Right. There's a video going around rather virally. It seems a bit like a nothing burger to me, honestly. People are freaking out. Wait, you mean people that work together get along and... <laughs> Then when they go their separate ways, they have their talking points they give to the media? Oh, gosh. Like these quote-unquote patriots are standing up to McCarthy when in actuality they're just playing politics as usual. It sure does seem that way. So the AOC situation, did you watch the video? I mean, it seems rather innocuous to me. They're just sitting there in the chamber next to each other. But the media's freaking out. Some of the comments, wait, AOC and Paul, I don't know if it's Gosser or Gosser. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but based on the spelling, it would be Gosser. But it's a proper name, so it could be Gosser. The guy who made that cartoon of him killing her, which is true, he did. In fact, he got ousted or ostracized, kicked off committee, something. He got, he, he, there were some consequences, some punishment issued. Now I have seen everything. Uh, Any body language or lip-reading experts want to weigh in on this conversation between AOC and uh, Gosar? Here's another. Well, I mean, heck, they might be talking about how they both voted against the omnibus, because AOC was the only Democrat that voted against the omnibus in the House. Right. Didn't go far enough for kickboxing. This is Peter Siegel. Uh, on Twitter, kickboxing, it's the sport of the future. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> uh, oh, to have a hot mic. Paul Goser and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez engaged in an animated conversation. But about what? That came from NBC Universal's Mike Sington. Oh, to hear the conversation right now between Representative Paul Goser and Representative AOC Punchbowl News, Heather Cagle agreed. Oh, that, I think that's a little too much freaking out. But you sent me an article published in Bloomberg here that went into further detail on some of the demands coming from McCarthy's detractors. He can only afford to lose four Republicans, that is, and he's not going to get a Democrat to vote for him, so... 222 Republicans to 212 Democrats presently in the House. One member sadly passed away after the midterms. Special election coming in February for that seat in Virginia. A deep blue seat, by the way. Tennessee Republican Andrew Ogles is a freshman. Never taken office. Wants seats on the powerful financial services and judiciary committees. You do you now. Just showed up. Put me in charge. <laughs> uh, hardline conservatives, these are the group that dissented, they want four 
of the nine seats on the Rules Committee. Four on the Rules Committee. Now, that doesn't seem to represent as much as I may like that, honestly. I, I mean, I don't know. They may come up with some crazy rules is the problem. I, I'm not seeing their... Because they don't have a plan. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> I haven't seen their suggestion for the rules. Other than they want to invoke this provision to vacate the Speaker's position if five people, which, which McCarthy's agreed to, essentially diluting to a great extent the power, because it means if you step out of line or do something that only five of them don't agree with, they get together and say, we want to vote. It's like Gates and Boebert and all those of their ilk saw all the attention that Manchin and Cinema got, and they want a piece of the pie. <laughs> the media pie, that is, right? Oh, yeah. The House Freedom Caucus wants four seat on all A-list committees. Now, you know, it's again, I may think that that's in the best interest, but it doesn't really reflect the body and who voted for them. And my concern is, when they're in charge again, then we get their most radical people. But they've got their positions. supporters snowed, believing they're standing on their principles. No, they're playing politics, just like everybody else up there. I think you're right about that. We're stepping aside for Super Talk News, Fox News. Dane Maxwell at 1220. Middays will return. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios on this hump day. Dane Maxwell, Southern District Commissioner for the Mississippi Public Service Commission, and will join us in the next segment at 1220. Ben from Madison just sent us a message and a screenshot indicating uh, this is from The Hill. Well, I guess it's from ABC News, right? No, it's The Hill. My bad. Kevin McCarthy has begun talks with Democrats about, uh, I can't read it, it cut off there, maybe decision to support a consensus candidate for speaker or hold out from voting to ensure he needs to reach a lower threshold. I'm sorry, part of it was cut off there, Ben, so I'm not sure. Do you know what? Yeah, the tweet from 11 minutes ago from The Hill, just in. Kevin McCarthy has begun talks with Democrats about a deal to support a quote-unquote consensus candidate yeah. for speaker or hold out from voting to ensure he needs to reach a lower threshold, okay. which came exactly one minute after The Hill reported that the Democrats are quote-unquote not ready to bail out the GOP, <laughs> quote-unquote, this is on them. Hmm. Interesting. Well, in prior votes, Hakeem Jeffries... Democrat received votes from all 212 of the Democrats in the House. 
Republicans, of course, split their vote. That's the fundamental problem between McCarthy and numerous other Republicans. As it stands right now, he is going to lose again. It's uh, the fourth vote. Little history of that, 1923? 100 years ago. Yeah. Interesting. Nine votes. Nine votes required. And I think you can go back further, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino. I looked this up last night and don't have it at my fingertips. But I think you can go back into the 1800s. And there was like 170 votes or something to get one across the finish line. A speaker. Yeah, it was the uh, 34th Congress from 1855 to 1857. Nathaniel Prentice Banks won the speakership after the 133rd ballot. <laughs> so we, we, we're not even approaching the record here. We've only had four. 133rd. And if I, that's maybe those two examples, the only two times we've had multiple, or, or have there been more? Oh, no. There was uh, three ballots in the third Congress, okay. two ballots in the sixth Congress, three ballots in the ninth Congress. Okay. Uh, that was the, let's see. But those stick out because of the number. There were 22 ballots cast for the speakership in the 16th Congress, 1819 to 1821, wow. with John Taylor winning. <laughs> There were 12 ballots cast for the Speakership in the 17th Congress. There were 10 ballots cast in the 23rd Congress, 11 in the 26th. The other big numbers are more recently, although not recent at all. The 31st Congress from 1849 to 1851 had 63 ballots hmm. for the Speakership. We already talked about the 34th Congress having 133, and then the 36th Congress from 1859 to 1861, elected William Pennington as Speaker of the House after 44 ballots. So I guess what's relevant about the two that we mentioned is the first one, 1823, uh, pardon me, 1923, 1923, was the last time. Yeah, it was the last time it took more than one. Right. And then the other was the most times it took. The, what was that, 1851, I believe? 1855 to 1857. Okay. Gotcha. Hmm. Steve from Brookhaven says he probably just wants to date her, talking about the conversation. Well, that is usually AOC's response to criticism on social media. Yeah. They just want to date me. <laughs> that was uh, talking about this conversation that was noted between Republican Paul Gosar sitting in the chamber there. That was picked up, made its way onto the Twitterverse, of course. And it, it just goes to show you again, doesn't it? You can't pick your nose without somebody having it on, capturing it on film, video, digital video in this case. You can't. There is no more privacy. That is out the window. Because everybody runs around with a camera in their hand. And they can instantly record it and upload it to the world. Which is why the case for Bigfoot grows smaller and smaller every year. <laughs> That's true. The speaker controversy, says Rhett in Ridgeland, is one of the things that sours me on our two-party system. Everybody wants their way, but nobody wants to really work and we find our legislative representation handcuffed 
by in-party politics. Well, okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to understand that a bit. Not disagreeing with you at all, uh, Rhett. And yeah, there's no doubt. Again, that for the most part, the eyes always towards the next election cycle or the next chairmanship, or in this case, the Speaker of the House. I think what he's talking about is the elected representatives that Mississippians elected. Okay, are not involved in this fight. Okay, that's the, true. They're not any of the detractors against McCarthy. Our Democrat representative, Minnie Thompson, is not going to vote for McCarthy. So this is negatively impacting our, the representation of the Magnolia State. Also, Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert can get more screen time. <laughs> I, I get it. You, Rhett, in that respect, in that context, I agree. that it, That is right. And, and it's no different than if you if whomever is going to be the speaker succumb to these demands with respect to committee assignments and chair, to have an outsized number from what is a small caucus. Because everybody starts playing that game, and I think maybe that's what what Red is saying here, if, if I'm not reading it correctly, Red, everybody starts playing that game to, to take care of their own individual situation. And we end up with bad government and a bad structure. Uh, agree. He says, bingo, our conservatives don't have any other option for affiliation. That's, that's true. Now, I will say I just saw a report that, uh, about Byron Donalds. Now, apparently, there was uh, a nomination for him. He is, by the way, a representative out of the state of Florida. And so uh, he's African-American. And by the way, I could totally get behind him as a Speaker of the House. I think the world of him have been following him regularly. He appears on the Business Channel rather routinely. He comes from a financial background. He's got incredible understanding of economic policy and the destructive policies of the Biden administration from an economic perspective. Yeah, he was nominated by Chip Roy. Okay, yeah. And Chip is one of the detractors, of course. Who previously nominated Jim Jordan. Correct. So now he's... And so apparently they're saying it's being reported that Representative Byron Donalds received a standing ovation when Chip Roy nominated him. And I'm simply saying here is an alternative to Kevin McCarthy, I could get behind him. I could support him. And it was noted that with Hakeem Jeffries being the essentially the nominee from the Democrat conference, and potentially, although I don't think anything's going to materialize, but Byron Donalds, it would mean you'd have two candidates for speaker both of whom are black. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's meaningless. But it was just, I'm simply conveying that that was reported. And I want to say maybe Byron Donalds even made a statement about it, which is fine. And I think what he was trying to say is, you know, all you folks out there that always label 
the Republicans is institutionally racist and white supremacist. You just go down the list, right? Uh, Joe Biden says it on a routine basis. He's simply saying, well, a white person here from Texas just nominated me for the Speaker of the House. A black person. Yeah, I do think, to me, the main message there is you guys that are always generalizing and profiling the very thing you accuse us of doing, you gaslighters, you need to wake up and see that here's a guy that says, yeah, Byron Donalds, I don't care if he's black. He would be a great Speaker of the House. I actually agree. I don't think that's what ought to happen right now. But I think his future is bright, and if you haven't had a chance to read any of his writings or see any of his interviews, folks, you should. He's excellent, and has a great and, and is a big DeSantis fan, by the way, as well. Coming from the state of Florida, he has totally supported many of the uh, policy moves that DeSantis has has made. But we're taking a break on middays. Coming back with Dane Maxwell. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to Middays, Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios today. Joining us now in the studios, the Public Service Commissioner of the Southern District, Dane Maxwell. Commissioner, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, George. Thank you for having me. You bet. So uh, tell us what's on your mind there and there at the Public Service Commission. Uh, you in town meet with the legislature? or well, no, I qualified yesterday oh, yeah, for re-election. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a busy couple yeah. of days. We, uh, we went in yesterday, got to see the governor. Uh, qualified uh, right after him, and, uh, and of course I've been busy with people calling, congratulating, and yeah. and you know starting the campaign up again. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah, it is. It's hard to believe it's rolled around again, uh, but here we are. So, what's going on with the Public Service Commission? You know, the thing that we've talked about a lot on the program, as you're well aware, uh, certainly with Commissioner of the Central District Brett Bailey, and to some extent with uh, Brandon Presley in the northern district are these uh, solar incentives right yeah that uh, as I recall you did not uh, support no I didn't um, you know conservative Republican I, I just uh, didn't see uh, us having the right to dictate to the power companies uh, to subsidize anybody for anything right uh, you know Energy rates are going to go up this year, and you know Biden has put a ton of new taxes on us, and I've I've heard y'all discuss it. But these taxes are are you know nearly thirty billion dollars of extra taxes on the on the ratepayers, and this is in all areas of energy, and and uh, solar is is going to be uh, uh, not in that. But then again, we still are not where I think we should uh, have ratepayers pay for the few people that can put solar on their houses. Right. <clears throat> but there were some, I want to say, some special uh, kick-up in the incentives 
for uh, homeowners based on their income range, right? Well, the the here's the incentive is a flat. I think three thousand dollars is what they they passed, okay. and then. On top of that, you're selling back to the to the carrier, the net metering, uh, the, the meter, yeah, the selling back to the energy company, mm-hmm. and then uh, you're making a profit off that as well. But if you look at the systems, and it just doesn't make sense, and and you know, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. If your system lasts ten, I mean, fifteen to twenty years, you get a lifespan of your system. You're fronting that money and paying it back, even with the incentives that you get. You're not going to pay it off in fifteen or twenty years. It's going to be twenty five or thirty years before you get your money back. Right. So it's not a really a uh, – I mean, it's, all it is is a feel-good. And, and I get so frustrated at these renewables, and I am pro-renewable, but it's just – there's so many uh, lies out there about all this stuff, and, and, and it convinces the American people that they've got to do this because it's just good for the environment. At the same time, I'll give you something funny. The other day, somebody showed me a picture of a three-bay uh, car charger on EVs, and behind it was a diesel generator running it to charge it. You know, it's just, it's just premature. It's not ready. It's not it, ready. It, it, no. it, Technology's it, not there. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be uh, working on it, developing it. And you know, there's lots of innovation along those lines coming coming down the pike. But it ain't ready now. It's we shouldn't not. be forcing it, right. which is what uh, certainly the federal government is trying to do. Uh, I think I recall now, Commissioner. It's, it seems like half of that money had to go to le- low-income households, half of the incentives, the state incentives. Is that yeah, right? It, yeah. it is. And how many low-income people can afford to put right. $25,000, $30,000, $100,000 worth of, of that on there? And, 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 and like I said, I'm pro-renewable. I'm just not going to put it on the back of the ratepayers. Yeah. I've, I've invested in almost I've invested in every solar project that's been put before that commission that was put together by private investors. Sure. And if it does if it doesn't fall back where the ratepayers have got to pay for it, I'll support it because I think we need to uh, invest in it to 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 get the technology where it needs to be. Yeah. Same way with batteries. Batteries are nowhere near that. And you go buy an electric car, you spend $50,000 on it. Three, four years, ten years, you got to pay twenty five, twenty eight thousand dollars in replacing the batteries. There's no good economic sense there. Well, it's the same thing with the federal credits that were just passed in the Inflation Reduction Act. You, you know, the average house, I believe, uh, I read the average investment's about twenty grand. Yeah. Uh, to solarize it, and they're going to give you thirty percent of that, but you still got to come up with, with the rest. A, a bunch of money, fifteen thousand bucks essentially, to to do that deal, and then you got to wait several years to get your return on that investment. Well, it infuriates me on a national level that this this administration is giving out so much money that we don't have to these car makers and stuff to to go like we're going a hundred percent EV by. 2030. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's never going to happen. Yeah. You're not going to see that. It's all a lie. And they're just spending all this money. And if you look, GMs, uh, Ford, their CEOs, they're not going to turn down that money. No. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be all electric by 2035. So it's it'll it's, never happen. It's, it's financial coercion is essentially it's bribing if you want to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I know about it is. It is, and, and that's a, that's why I I want to continue what we're doing, and and that's trying to stop some of that craziness here in our state. That's, that's what I can do to stop it. And then uh, there's a lot of uh, projects that I've worked on with the broadband and moved it to it on its own, and now we're doing that to robocaller and telemarketers, trying to fix it and and not just uh, uh, just say we are. Yeah, 
Well, and, and along those lines, how are those projects going, the broadband rollout? Broadband rollout's great. Uh, Sally Doty, executive, executive director, she's doing such Bing. a great job. Yeah. I mean, really, I think that job was just meant for her. Uh, she, you know, she came in well-prepared uh, with a lot of knowledge, and she has just grabbed it by the horns and took it. And I'm so proud of her and, and all the things, great things that she's doing because it is really expanding that out to a lot of rural areas. In fact, tomorrow I'll, I'll be down in Dixie, uh, electrics uh, area, and I'll, they have their t- they signed up their ten thousand wow. customer, customer, and 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 it and they didn't even have elect- uh, internet broadband then, yeah. and so it's good to see that in such a short time uh, come out. Yeah, well, everybody, uh, well, your your um, your peers, your colleagues are certainly reporting that as well in the central, yeah, in the northern district that uh, many of the uh, the co-ops have embraced that and yeah. they're busy installing. So, yeah, and lots of folks are getting lit up and connected. Yeah, and it's great. And we're like on the on the call, no call. Look, and I and I had some good conversation with the governor, lieutenant governor, over the last couple of years about this, pushing towards trying to reorganize that to the right place. The public service commission, uh, it, it, it's not staffed to take in sixty five thousand calls, as we reported the other day. Now, sixty five thousand calls uh, this year for for no call was simply the ones that were brought, we got in and, and worked. You know, there's always a hundred yeah, that you don't know about. A hundred thousand or a hundred times more that we don't know mm-hmm. about. And so um, it's it's an overwhelming problem. I don't know what the fix is, but we're going to try to work through the legislature this year to get it done. Yeah, I know the folks would like to see something happen there. It, you know, from my perspective, just anecdotally, it does seem like that it's calmed down. It's It's been reduced. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've signed up for no call as well. I don't feel like I'm getting the number that I was before that. Yeah. You know, I think we've seen a decline. Is that kind of what you're hearing? Well, as it well? comes it, it comes in spurts. Okay. Like uh, I, I've had a right before the holidays. I had had a, a lull in my calls, and right before the holidays, it just blew Picked out up. of sign. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, the text messages that started yeah. coming in too. So seeing more of that, it's crazy know. times. Anything that you're uh, going to be talking to the legislature about that you think you need from uh, your orbit? Yes, one. Uh, you know, certainly the no call is was priority on our. Also, um, we've talked about going back to our core functions on trying to work uh, on the utility side with uh, cybersecurity, number one. Uh, and I think you're going to see us work and get ourselves injected more into the economic development side, which we did that. Uh, I did that in the Southern District in, in about seven big economic development projects where I was able to go in and help them lay out their foundation for utilities way, way, way ahead of schedule by just uh, eliminating the red tape and, and getting it moved through the process. Uh, the other two commissioners are doing the same thing. They're doing a great job, too. I think we've turned a lot of of uh, things around there, but we've got to get a hold on some of these things that's overwhelming us, such as a no-call, and I think you're going to see that happen, and I think we're going to also talk about some of the other things like utility theft and grid security simply because of all these utilities that are getting hit uh, in these substations, and that's a priority for us as well because we want to make sure that all of ours are protected. Okay. Yeah, well, that's I think that's prudent because you're right. We're seeing more activity in that arena where uh, the 
the uh, the malicious cyber guys are taking target to yeah. utilities, and yeah. they're they're prime targets and bad guys. Yeah, gotta, gotta, and they're good, and they're good. Yeah, we got to catch them. Commissioner, appreciate you coming on and giving us an update. Uh, congratulations on uh, qualifying for re-election, and Thank you, sir. good luck on the campaign trail. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. I appreciate you Take care. Yes, sir. Commissioner Dane Mas- Maxwell, he's the Public Service Commissioner for Mississippi's Southern District. Middays is coming right back. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Middays, Kevin McCarthy loses the fourth speaker vote. Well, not sure when there's going to be another. Hmm. Goldman Sachs yanks their free coffee in their break rooms. <laughs> they announced it yesterday. So when the rank and file at Goldman Sachs, the big Wall Street bank, Manhattan headquarters, been there. Then when they went to get their usual cup of coffee, the so-called Sky Lobby on the 11th floor, there was a a sign and a person, a woman stationed there, yelling at the employees, the coffee is no longer complimentary. (laughs) $2.99 for just a cup of plain old coffee there. Now, there's so wait, they had to surely they didn't hire somebody just to stand there and say that or else it would wouldn't really make sense because it would cost more to hire somebody I, in New York than it would to just give them coffee. I don't know if they hired a new person or if they just temporarily reassigned a resource to that function. The coffee's not free. <laughs> there have to be some perks or something to get me to be the person to t- tell the office there's no free coffee. <laughs> now, they've already announced fairly serious layoffs. Oh, yeah. And by the way, this morning you probably saw Salesforce.com announced 10% of their workforce gone, and they're going to shut down some of their their facilities in which they operate, their offices. And Elon Musk... He's delinquent on his rent payments in their head in multiple facilities, but their headquarters in San Francisco. He's behind, not paying the rent 
And he's whining a bit, folks. You know, we're losing $4 million a day, which is true. I told you, it's a terrible business. They did come out and say that they are going to allow political advertising again for the first time in, what, three years? Yeah, I think that's right. He needs the revenue. So he's not paying the rent. Also just reported, apparently, there's a, a successor to the CEO role at Tesla that is being discussed. He uh, taps a potential successor, does the founder, Elon Musk, says the head of Twitter, SpaceX, and other companies. He's stepping down as Tesla's CEO. And uh, let's see who it is. Tom Zhu Zayatong. Tesla's vice president in charge. I may have mispronounced that. I apologize for that. Tesla's vice president in charge of the Asia Pacific region is rumored to be Musk's replacement as the global CEO of Tesla, which, by the way, has had a terrible run the last few days in the markets because it's not producing, not meeting its production goals, not meeting its sales goals. And you can't blame that on chips, because we're about to face and be immersed in a chip glut. We went from a chip shortage, now a chip glut. The chip makers are signaling this. Get ready for a glut. That coming from some of the major manufacturers of chips in Taiwan, etc. Oh, but don't worry, because Joe Biden, with the help of 19 Republicans in the Senate, just passed the CHIPS Act, which is going to provide billions of dollars to chip manufacturers, because you know they're just itching to go set up new factories in this country in the middle of a chip glut. That's what happens when the government tries to manipulate the market and plan it. That's called socialism. Rather than letting the natural market forces dictate investment and hiring and pay and pricing, they just think they know better and got to stick their nose in everywhere. Everywhere, I mean. And how about this? Biden and Mitch McConnell, they're in Kentucky today, together. They are touting a bridge project that is being funded under the infrastructure bill. That, too, received the vote of it's either 17 or 19 Republicans in the Senate, without which the bill does not get enacted into law. A mere $1.2 trillion. So, Mitch, does this, is this like the first project I've heard? There may be some others, but this, certainly this is the first one that I'm aware of that got any news coverage. It just happens to be in Mitch's home state. And he and Biden, in a rare sign of bipartisan bipartisanship, 
<laughs> in, this, in this era of divided government, they're in Covington, Kentucky today, where they are announcing funding to upgrade the Brent Spence Bridge that links Ohio and Kentucky at that point in Covington. And they're bragging about this. Asked about the joint appearance, Mr. Biden said Monday that he and Mr. McConnell had been, quote, friends for a long time. Biden went on to say, it's a giant bridge, man. <laughs> Nothing gets by that guy. It's a lot of money. It's important. There ain't but one problem. We don't have the money. I say once again that never enters the discussion. Let me bring home that bacon, baby, and then let me go to the ribbon cutting or the announcement in this case. And it's a day that ends in Y, so we have audio of Biden getting lost in his thoughts. <laughs> Over 140 countries around the world. As I was, I'll paraphrase the phrase in my old neighborhood. The rest of the countries, the world's not a patch on our genes. If we do what we want to do, we need to do. Huh? What? <laughs> we do need chip manufacturers in the United States, says Ricky in Aberdeen. Don't agree with it being government back. It's government bribe, let's be honest. And I'm not disagreeing with you, Ricky. I'd like to see as much production stateside as possible, and not just in chips, but a number of industries. But the fact is, we've made it crazy as this sound, more expensive and more difficult to do business in this country than China or Taiwan. So, so what the Democrats do is they say, well, let's, let's uh, enact all these regulations and all these taxes and, and all these other rules and policies that make it so dang hard to do business you go across the pond, you go abroad to do it, and then they say, oh, please come back, here's some money. That's just dumb. That is dumb management right there. Maybe these chip companies would see fit to invest and set factories up in this country if you'd get the hell out of the way. But you can't do that because then your constituents get mad. Your woke constituents that see government as fit and proper to control the private sector. That's what they want. And just the, the number of conflicts like that and contradictions, if you think about government policy, it's the same with the Title 42 deal with respect to the border. I thought Biden proclaimed that the pandemic was over. Victory! Yet, he wants to, he wants to uh, end this policy. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, he wants to, to continue it out, and he, he's got a conflict there. Well, the pandemic's over. It just doesn't make any sense. It's, there's just so many underlying contradictions here. So which is it, Joe? I just don't get it. Uh, you, you can't have it both ways, but he sure tries to. So now we're going to a fifth ballot there, up there in the House of Representatives. I'm watching the image of 
Representative Thomas Massey on his telephone right now. Coming right back on Midday's final segment. Stay with us. Listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Bloody Sunday by you too. Back in the Element Well Studios. So what I was trying to say in the last segment is that with respect to Title 42, the president is fighting to end Title 42, yet he continues to extend the public health emergency. So if he, you're extend, but that's so he can sign off on things like student loan forgiveness and all the special Medicaid provisions that are presently in place and, and have other powers that you only have when a public health emergency is declared. But yet, not Title 42. we got to end that because the pandemic's over. Well, if the pandemic's over, well, then end the public health emergency. That's the conflict. I apologize for not being clear about that. It, it, it occurred to me during the break, but I just want to clear that up. You're arguing to end, essentially, a public health emergency provision applying to the border and those crossing over, allowing the government, the uh, border security, to expel those so they don't bring COVID into the country. And now you've seen it. All the doctors and the scientists are worried about the dang Chinese. And even Biden has put some restrictions in place. But remember, when That's Trump did it... xenophobic. Xenophobic! So I couldn't crazy. help but laugh that China got upset that there are multiple countries around the world requiring their citizens to be tested if traveling abroad. Yeah. And one of their main contentions is, well, why don't you just believe when we tell you they tested before they left? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um... Speaking of chips, there is a microchip revolution that I believe is in the offing, which is good. It's a positive thing. We haven't seen nearly the capacity, the capability, the functionality of chip technology. And I caught an interview with the CEO of Qualcomm. Cristiano Amon. It was excellent, excellent interview. And, and they're, by the way, the company that's working on the, the chips, the sensors that, that would be installed in roadbed that would harvest power from the RF signal in the atmosphere emitted by cell phone antenna and transfer that, convert that, to an electrical charge as a as a vehicle is traveling over to charge the batteries. So there's never the need to stop, plug in, and charge. That, that's, 
I think brilliant, novel. Now, that takes a while. That's not ready next week, like Joe and the Democrats, just what Commissioner Dane Maxwell was talking about. I support the development of all those technologies. I don't oppose electric vehicles. I oppose force prematurely, all in the name of political expediency and ideology is, is what I oppose. I am deeply concerned, guys, about four votes now, and who knows where it's going to end um, with respect to the Speaker of the House being elected in the U.S. House of Representatives, how that might impact the next election cycle in 24. You know the Democrats are going to absolutely plaster that in every ad, in every campaign. They're going to leverage that. See, these people aren't fit to govern. That's what we're going to hear. I mean, they're already saying it. But you know they're going to ratchet it up come campaign time. And it's effective. Because where it makes a difference is in those districts that we've already seen can go in both directions. They're not solidly in one party's category. And that's a column. That's concerning. William and Greenville and others, of course, reminded that it, Senator Wicker did vote for the CHIPS Act. He voted for the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and he did vote for the omnibus bill. Did not vote for the Inflation Reduction Act. That was passed purely on, on partisan lines. Zach and Oxford said that makes zero sense. I wonder how much the taxpayers had to spend for these wonderful dignitaries to be there at the bridge thing. It's it's unfortunate a way they can use, I agree with you, Zach, they can use taxpayer money really for political gain. Nobody else cares other than them cheerleading, celebrating. And what's there to celebrate? There's nothing, again, there's nothing noble, there's nothing innovative, there's nothing creative, there's no accomplishment, and just appropriate money that you just print. There's, you didn't really do anything there. You didn't achieve anything. It's not like you compare that to running a business and you were able to make the expenses lower than the revenue. You were able to sell enough to produce revenue and manage expenses enough effectively to have less of that than revenue, and thus you had a profit. There, there's accomplishment that. And that. they would send the feds after you if you decided to print your own money. Well, too. that's true. That's this is what we got to change. We're never going to get out of debt. We're never going to start to see these deficits go away and evaporate and get control of our our economic future until we change these radical, ridiculous spending habits. We're out of time here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, we're down at the Trademark tomorrow for MEC's Capital Day. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.